Hello, and welcome to the podcast series Breaking and Entering. My name is Victoire Barbin Perron. I am a reporter at CityWire Selector and the host of Breaking and Entering. In this podcast, we profile outstanding asset managers who have had an intriguing career path. They've either left the industry to launch a tech business or a food business, or they have conversely entered the industry from a radically different sector. This is a case of double A-rated Sharon Bentley Hamlin, a founding partner of UK-based Aubrey Capital Management and the lead manager of Aubrey's European strategy. Prior to founding an investment firm and managing assets, Sharon was training as an opera singer. Today, we chat about transferable skills and the appeal for European equities. Thanks for joining. Hi, Victoire. It's great to have the opportunity to talk to you today in these rather strange times that we're living through. Indeed. And it's nice to be able to see you despite the distance. You are currently AA rated by CityWire. And over the last three years, you have ranked in the top 10 of our European equity managers. But at, at an early stage of your career, your appeal for Europe was not so much for its financial returns, but rather for its music and culture. So could we go back in time and chat about opera? Why opera? And why opera to asset management? Well, um, is it nature or nurture um, that gives you predispositions to uh, follow certain career paths? We always think um, that we're furrowing our own path, but often if you go back into, um, into one's history, you find that the influences were already there. Um, in as much as my background influenced my career choices, there were musicians on both sides of the family, um, both on my father's side, he was very musical, his father, was an artist, um, a watercolorist, in fact, but was also very musical um, and taught piano for a while. My maternal grandmother was a very good pianist too. Um, she was interesting because she was Franco-Chilean and um, she came to the UK, the, the cold UK, to marry my grandfather who was um, British but also a great Francophile. They met in Paris, um, just, I think, between the wars. And um, everyone in the family spoke French. Um, some members of the family spoke Spanish too. Um, and when I was a child, I was aware that when the adults didn't want us to understand something, they reverted to one or other foreign language, which was a great incentive to focus on um, our language classes at school um, and also I had that kind of musical encouragement there both from her and from my father's side of the family as well so um, I had a varied education I did study French and German to A level um, spent my gap year in Florence learning Italian um, which came in useful when I started to sing opera but actually when I was in Florence, I was studying the piano at the conservatoire there rather than, rather than singing, that came later. 
and then subsequently I took various courses in Spanish and Russian as well so I could sing in those languages um, so that's really where the musicality comes from and then as to financial influences yes they were there in my family too hmm. my father worked in merchant banking for a number of years and I think there were European bankers even further back in my ancestry um, so you know you're, you're given this kind of set of qualities or set of cards and it's up to you to play them um, in the way that you you want to and so when did you start playing the banking and finance cards and stop playing the singing and opera ones the singing and opera ones um well it was all due to economic circumstances right um in 1987 there was a terrific financial crash in the uk well it was it was global um but we have something here called black monday yeah. and um it was the worst crash since 1929 and investors lost fortunes in it and during the 1980s i'd taken temporary secretarial work in the city to help finance my vocal studies abroad but at the time my main base was a um, small one-bedroom flat in london on which I'd taken out a heavy mortgage. And after the crash, interest rates rose to 15%. And I realized if I was going to be able to pay the monthly installments, I would have to get a proper job. And the most interesting place I attempt was CCF, which is Crédit Commercial de France. It's now part of HSBC. Yeah. So I asked them if they would take me on as a secretary full-time in their mergers and acquisitions department. And I was interested in the company research that their young analysts was doing, were doing. So I asked if I could do some too. And I took the registered representatives examination, which was a prerequisite at the time. And then after a couple of years, I realized I would either have to qualify as an accountant or get an MBA in order to progress. So I applied for a course at Edinburgh University Business School, which could be completed in a year. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I graduated in 1991. Terrible timing. I, I kind of think my life has been um, uh, a litany of terrible timings. But anyway, in 1991, there was a deep recession in the UK. Uh, mm. People were laying off staff, not taking them on. I put in 100 or more job applications with zero result. And when I'd almost given up hope in a very unexpected way, I got offered a job as a trainee analyst at Walter Scott & Partners an Edinburgh asset manager running portfolios for US institutional clients, at that time located in a castle on the outskirts of Edinburgh, mm. and no one knew very much about them. It's a bit like Aubrey Capital Management, my firm today. <laughs> and I was there for 14 years, the last five as a director with overall responsibility for their European mandates. Um, the company had been going for 10 years when I joined, had assets under management of $800 million which rose to 20 billion by the time I left. It was mm. a long, hard road, but it prepared me well for launching a new boutique. And that opportunity came in 2006 when Walter Scott was taken over by Mellon Financial Corporation of the US. And it was just fortunate that at the same time, one of my current partners at Aubrey, Andrew Dalrymple, was trying to set up a new company having left First State Investments. So we joined forces with a couple of his former colleagues to start Aubrey. And in January 2007, we launched our first fund, a global fund, with about mm -hmm. £2 million pounds from friends, family, and a former European client of mine. 
And today we run about a billion pounds, split 80-20 between institutional and retail clients in the UK, continental Europe and the USA. We're mm. managing money for public and private pension funds, charitable foundations, asset managers and multi-managers, as well as private clients. So that was it really in a nutshell, um, how I went from one to another and it's, it was all as a result of economic circumstances. But did you, so did you bring, would you say that you brought with you skills that you'd learned um, singing to Walter Scott and then to Aubrey Capital Management? I think very definitely so, quite apart from the languages. And the reason that they employed me was because they had a couple of European mandates and they had no linguists at all on the staff. And in those days, um, if you went to talk to smaller companies in France, uh, you would have to do the meetings in French. So I was able to do that. And uh, in Germany too, um, uh, my German was probably just about adequate um, to do that. And, uh, and that's how I got the job. Um, but I think over and above the linguistic skills, when you study opera or any musical instrument to a high level, it requires a great deal of self-discipline. You have to do vocal exercises every day. I think it was Luciano Pavarotti who said, if I don't practice for a day, I notice the difference in my voice. If I don't practice for two days, my coach notices. Mm. And if I don't practice for three days, the public notices. And I actually started for a time with one of Pavarotti's coaches in Italy. Um, but clearly I didn't have his voice or his talent, but I did practice every day. Mm. So I had the discipline, the work ethic. And I think that self-discipline and focus is a transferable skill. And I notice it too in colleagues of mine who have achieved great sporting prowess. They have that drive and self-discipline. Right. Um, so I think that's really what you bring. Um, I think uh, in terms of the ability also to stand up on a stage and um, present, that comes from being able to stand up on a stage and sing to an audience. I think that's very helpful, just managing your breathing, for instance. <laughs> Um, and you're managing your nerves. Um, that's, those are all very important lessons. Um, mm. But I have to say that I've always found singing to people a lot easier than speaking to them en masse. I think the music carries you along and it uplifts and energizes you in a, word, in a way that words never can. Mm. Um, investment is a very cerebral pursuit. And, um, and also when you're singing, the musical ideas or the words that you're singing, they're not yours, they're the composers or the librettists you're just the medium. Whereas when you're talking about investment, you're trying to convince other people of your own ideas. And mm. that's much more difficult when there are 101 other ways of thinking about investment. And certainly what we do at Aubrey is highly specialized and very focused. It's not main, what I would call mainstream. Mm. So you managed to enchant them. Well, I, I'm not sure that I do, actually. I mean, I've always wished I had a lot more personal charm than I actually have. I, I notice it can take people a long way, particularly in marketing, which has never really been my, my forte. And so coming back to influences, you said that your parents and grandparents had influenced your fascination for European languages when you were younger. Um, and this could have probably sparked your interest to invest in European equities at the beginning of your... Um, investor career but what continues to attract you to invest 
in them because European equities have not been the flavor over the last couple of years and yet you've been keen to invest in the space for a while so beyond diversification what do you what do you find appealing about the asset class? I think a lot of it is to do with my cultural affinity um, with European um, ways of doing things and business um, in, Europe is a very varied and developed market with a wide range of investment opportunities and it's the market where I always wanted to work and where I, where I felt I would have most success as an investor. And I do wholly understand why people might be reticent investing in European markets. Economic growth is slow, currently we're in a COVID-19 induced recession. Uh, Europe is mired in politics and has been through several crises since the global financial crisis. Uh, the eurozone crisis with greece um, posing an existential threat to the currency block uh, lately the uk's actual exit from eu on terms which are still not entirely clear um, there's a lot of negative press around europe but uh, also the fact is that when investors think about investing in a region first and foremost they look to its index and that is where most flows have gone in recent years i.e into passives etfs mm -hmm which have given investors the index performance, more or less. And over 10 years, this has averaged about 6% per annum in Europe, which is not hugely exciting compared to, say, global index or indeed the S&P 500 in the US. And on the subject of ETFs, I was reading that these have ballooned from around £405 billion in 2008 to £4.3 trillion at the end of March this year. So you can see how fund flow has been sucked into the indices, serving investors very poorly in the case of Europe because of the slow growth in the underlying company constituents. We do need to see some flows back to active managers. If you're extremely selective, though, in your stock selection in Europe, you can deliver returns as good as either the S&P or the global index, which is exactly what Aubrey has done i.e. double the European index at 12% average annual return over 10 years. When investing in Europe, it is essential to select an active manager, and we would advocate a growth stock manager. And for us, that means one who invests in companies that can deliver at least 15% per annum earnings growth, because long term, this is what will be reflected in share price returns. Could you maybe illustrate um, those choices with a couple holdings, maybe with the... Um... Aubrey European Conviction Fund, which outperformed the sector's average, according to CTYA data, by 12.6% over the last year? Um, yeah, um, well, the first one I should mention, um, because it's one of the largest stocks in our portfolio, is Hyperport in Germany. It's the leading online platform for selling mortgage products. It was up over 60% in the 12 months to the end of July, and we've made six times our initial investment having bought it at 74 euros in May 2016, with the price today at 451 euros. Hyperport is disrupting traditional forms of distribution in a market increasingly migrating to online. There are not so many companies in Europe that are growing top and bottom line at 20 to 30%, and this was one of them. It was also very profitable with a high return on equity and cash flow return on assets. And I was very impressed with the entrepreneurial spirit of the CEO, Ronald Slabke, when I first met him in 2016, and continue to be so. The company is continuously reinventing itself 
extending its technologies to other sectors such as insurance and real estate. So that's the first um, company. And then another really interesting smaller company um, is called MIPS in Sweden, M-I-P-S. It stands for Multidirectional Impact Protection Systems. And the company was born out of research carried out by doctors at the Swedish Royal Institute of Technology into brain trauma. The company has designed a brain protection system which comprises an inner sleeve for crash helmets, which allows for a 10 to 15 millimeter spin of the head inside the helmet on impact. And this helps prevent concussion and other serious in injuries. Mm. The price of MIPS is up over 100% in the 12 months to the end of July, and we've made three times our initial investment on it, having bought it back in July 2018. As they license the design to helmet manufacturers, the company is asset light, and the cash flow return on assets is humongous, approaching 90%. The growth rate of sales and earnings have been stellar too, and as the take-up of the system by helmet manufacturers accelerates. Mm. So those are typical um, stocks, not so well known, yeah. um, that we would have in our portfolios. Mm -mm. Are there any other sectors or themes that were um, outstanding this year? Yes, well, this year um, we, we are about 14 percentage points ahead of the benchmark, and it's predominantly because of our technology exposures. Um, technology um, is typically about a third of our portfolio mm. and it has performed extremely well this year. Mm. Given your, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, so, so we're trying to get um, the best um, of uh, the European universe in terms of technology. I mean, it's interesting, have you noticed that this year Apple hit a market uh, capitalization of $2 trillion? Well, we've um, not got anything like that, quite like that in the European um, universe. Um, but we do have other companies um, like ASML, for instance, yeah. in the Netherlands, which is the lithography company, which is a, um, an absolute global market leader, um, without which uh, a lot of the digitalization of the global economy um, would not happen. Um, they produce the lithography machines upon which um, the semiconductors are um, well, they're produced and uh, their lithography enables um, these uh, small chips to be packed with up to and over a billion transistors in some cases. Um, and that technology is all European grown um, out of this company, ASML. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so given your background and interests and education, um, are you ever inclined to invest in cultural enterprises? Or at least were you before the pandemic hit the sector, among others? Uh, rarely. Um, I think at Walter Scott, I invested in a company called Polygram, which was a recording um, company um, back in the day, it doesn't exist um, independently anymore. And I don't think it was a particularly good investment. I think it, we washed our face in it, but I don't think we made a lot of money. Um, there's very little that you actually can um, buy. I mean, there's quite a lot in entertainment, like video gaming, for instance, but actual music or, no, it's, it's extremely difficult. Mm -mm. And perhaps it's not a bad idea to have a kind of separation between 
um, the things that one loves to do and the things that one does professionally. I don't know, but that's kind of my, my feeling about it. Right. Any singing? Am I doing any singing? Um, not very much at the moment. Um, well, for obvious reasons. And I think it must be extraordinarily difficult for people in the performing arts today. And I just, I hope that this little chat might, if anyone is listening who is falls into that category, um, might be encouraging to people because they, there must be an awful lot of people out there wondering what on earth they're going to do to earn a living if they can't perform in public. Mm-hmm. And um, they do have clearly transferable skills. And I think as long as you have a reasonable education, you can probably turn your hand to anything you want to, if you've got a mind to. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as singing is concerned, well, at current moment, absolutely mm-hmm. zero. But in the recent past, I organized a community choir in my village. I always organize and conduct the Christmas concerts um, on Christmas Eve in our local village church. Um, when I came up to Edinburgh um, from London in uh, 1990, I joined something called the Edinburgh Festival Chorus. We have a big chorus, a big um, arts festival here in the summer. And um, I sang in that chorus, which accompanied all the big orchestras and um, famous artists that um, would come up to Edinburgh for the festival. I sang in that chorus for seven years. Um, But then my son was born and something has to give. You know, you can't work full time, have children, sing in choirs. You you make choices. Yes, only only so many hours in the day, unfortunately. On this note, (laughs) I'd like to thank you for joining today. It's been a pleasure. I'm um, looking forward to um, seeing Aubrey continue to blossom and to seeing what other investment you'll make with Aubrey uh, European Conviction Fund. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Dear listeners, thank you for listening in. If you want to find out more inspiring profiles of multidimensional asset managers, you can go and check out the rest of the Breaking and Entering series on the CityWise Selector podcast that's available on Spotify. Bye for now.